The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Now, as you know, one of the noisiest debates out there, and it's an important debate, is how are we going to spend these surpluses? So one report today is saying that we could have £68 billion in a sovereign wealth fund over the next decade by the end of that period. Not sure whether that figure is going to come true. These are all forecasts, of course. This money has not landed yet, but it's actually good to see this debate because it means there's public engagement. We're talking about policy choices. All that is positive, but we decided we'd also invite the Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath, on to talk to us, and it's great to have him now. Minister, it's great to have you. Uh, Thank you, Emmett. Good afternoon. Good. Uh, Listen, this is a fascinating subject. Our listeners have their own views, lots of uh, political jostling already. Um, Let's talk a little bit about some of it. Today, you've been looking at putting some of it aside into a new savings fund or a reserve fund. The exact look of this and how it will operate has yet to be decided. But what's what's your own political instinct? Uh, I mean, we've got so many different options here. We've ageing, we've digitalisation, we've climate change, we've infrastructure, which doesn't tend to get mentioned maybe quite as much. They're all valid. They're, they've all got strong political and economic yep. arguments behind them. But so, where is your where's your head at at the moment as a politician of what we should be looking at? Yeah, the first point I want to make is that the the focus here is on uh, tax receipts that we think we're not going to necessarily have every year into the future. So, the tax receipts that we can reasonably expect to collect year in year out will be used uh, in the budget in this coming autumn and in every budget. Uh, to, where possible, reduce the burden of income tax, to have a social welfare package, to improve public services, increase capital investment, and so on. And I certainly expect to be in a position to to do all of that uh, in the budget this coming autumn. But the focus here is on corporation tax receipts that really have increased at an extraordinary rate. When you look at the fact that about a decade ago, we were collecting around €4 billion in corporation tax uh, receipts, um, at the start of the pandemic, uh, it uh, had increased uh, significantly, but by 2020, it was you know, around 12 billion. And this year, we expect it to be pretty much double that at 24 billion euros. So the rate of growth has been extraordinary. And my own department and the revenue commissioners are advising me uh, that about half of those receipts this year um, cannot be relied upon to repeat every year into the future. And so the first thing we need to do is avoid the mistake of making permanent expenditure commitments on the back of those receipts. And alongside that, we know that we have very significant uh, uh, demographic changes uh, that are coming our way. We will have a major increase in age-related costs over the coming years. And so the central proposal here is uh, that we would put funding away from these windfall corporation tax receipts into a long-term reserve fund, which will be invested, uh, which we expect will earn a rate of return, uh, and then that we would use that return over time uh, to meet the costs that we know are coming our way over the years ahead. So that's the, the, the essential purpose, Emma, of yeah. what I'm proposing. Sure. Now, Minister, you're using phrases like age-related costs. You know, a lot of listeners will say, well, what exactly does that mean? And if you look at the report that you've issued yourself, the department, it's pensions, essentially, and it's, it's certainly a big portion of it is what the state pension, when it will kick in. There was, as you know, proposals to, to move it out to a yeah. later period. So have we, all, have we already kind of hamstrung ourselves in a sense that a lot of this money will go towards the state pension? Look, I'm all in favour of it. I'll get one in, in a few decades myself. But in terms of options, we want to leave it as open as possible. We've already kind of cornered ourselves here because we've decided to pay a state pension at a certain age, which some people think is too early. So a lot of the money is going to be tied to that, isn't it? Rather than just age-related costs in general, it, it's a very specific item that's driving that. 
Uh, some of it is pension-related for sure, but also it is healthcare-related costs. Um, it is the cost of home care. You know, we are getting older. We have a, a young population, but the demographic trend is clear. Uh, we're living longer. Um, if you look at the ratio of working people, people of working age, let's say, to pensioners, it's currently uh, at about four people uh, of working age to every pensioner in the country. Uh, and over the coming decades, that ratio will half. We will only have two people of working age uh, for every uh, person of pension age. And so you can see the impact that that is going to have on uh, the public finances. So these are unavoidable costs. So by the end of this decade, uh, we estimate that the cost of providing public services on a standstill basis, so without any improvement, uh, will be 7 to €8 billion euro higher by 2030 than it was at the beginning of this decade, simply because of those age-related pressures so the advice is clear and the facts are categoric. You know, we are facing uh, very significant costs down the line. Now, I acknowledge that there are many demands across society to spend all of this money now uh, and to you know, help people with the cost of living and so on. And I would make the point we've done a lot so far. Uh, we will be in a position uh, to do more in the autumn. But really what we're looking at here is what is the best thing to do with money that is coming in now, we think will come in for the next number of years, but we cannot rely on it coming in uh, into the future. And I do think putting money into a long-term reserve fund, uh, also looking at the possibility of reducing the national debt, that uh, we have a large national debt, and if we are sitting on a large cash pile, uh, as government bonds mature, uh, they might be quite cheap at the moment, but uh, when you are refinancing and replacing them, it could be at a higher rate but of min interest. But Minister, so it uh, might make sense to pay sure. down that debt. A lot of these are... Too. A lot of these are very sensible things, and and you've got a whole bank of advisors around you to say, you know, these are the these are the right things to do. But I mean, a lot of people will find, I suppose, unappetising the idea of using this money to pay off national debt. It doesn't sizzle politically, if you want to put it like that. And and your colleague then, um, Tishok Fradkar, is talking about income tax cuts. That's another way, I suppose, it could be deployed indirectly. So, I mean, if you were to go to the country on, on a platform that says we've got all this money, we, we've done well, we've got it through corporation tax and we're going to use it to pay for uh, ageing costs and national debt redemptions. Yeah. You can see my point. It's, it's not exactly going to get anyone excited at the ballot box, however prudent financially it might be to be doing it. Yeah, yeah I, I understand that point of view, but we will also be able to do income tax cuts. But the thing about income tax cuts is that they are permanent. You can't introduce it one year and then undo it the following year. You have to fund that every single year. So we will do that in the normal budget process. And thankfully, you know, we are in a position of strength. We are running very significant budget surpluses, which is coming at the moment from corporation tax receipts. We do need to put uh, a large portion of that away. But looking at the recurring taxes that we expect we will collect every year, that is sufficient to improve public services, to improve social welfare payments, and to reduce the burden of income tax on, on working people. So we will be able to do all of that as well. But the question is, what do we do with um, the, the, the proceeds that uh, we don't expect to, to, to repeat every single year? And I think people do understand that when you look at a national debt of you know, about 220 billion, the cost of servicing that at the moment is around 4 billion euro. Uh, the cost of servicing it will grow over time as borrowing becomes more expensive. And I think people would like to see uh, at least some of that €4 billion euro not go on 
paying interest on the national debt, sure. but on, on, on public services and but, supporting but them. I'm just thinking day as day well of uh, do understand that. The, the generational issue here. A lot of people listening in will say we have a, a very acute housing crisis. It's, it's not going to be cleared imminently, right? So it is actually several years before um, it gets ameliorated in some way. Young, younger people will say, all I'm hearing in this interview is top of the national debt being retired, um, pensions, state pensions, which seem further away for a lot of people who can't afford housing solutions. So how are you going to make that argument to say these are long-term challenges and we'll just sort of try our best to deal with the more short-term challenge? So is this rewarding a part of the population who you know will make a strong argument in their own favour? They don't need to do it. But in terms of that generational tension between pensioners getting what they're entitled to, but these more infrastructural stroke housing issues that younger people pay more attention to. Yeah. Is there not a, a big tension in between those two groups? Not that I'm trying to create it, but it's just a fact of yeah. life. Well, I mean, even by putting uh, the surplus receipts away, it's still not going to meet all of the age-related costs that are coming. And it's not just long-term. This is a medium-term issue uh, that is coming at us like a train. So it is unavoidable. And if we don't do this and if we don't put money away, it will mean uh, considerably higher taxes in the future. So this is about preventing that and avoiding that uh, and being prudent with the resources that we are collecting now. The third pillar of what uh, I am proposing uh, is to increase capital investment in a targeted way. Now, that can only be in areas where you know, the main issue is not a capacity constraint, uh, where it might be funding, where that could be the main issue. And we have been very, very clear that we will do everything we possibly can to tackle what we know is a really serious housing crisis affecting so many people. That is our top domestic priority. And so I have signalled uh, a willingness to also use some of the receipts uh, to increase capital investment because it's not necessar- necessarily annual or recurring or doesn't necessarily repeat uh, into the future. But like, when I look at the advice that I receive, not just in the Department of Finance, but I look at uh, Fiscal Advisory Council, the central bank, international bodies like the OECD, IMF, they are all very clear uh, that you know we do need to use these resources wisely and that can involve some targeted increases in investment, which I am prepared to do, but it also has to involve putting the public finances on a sustainable path and making sure uh, that they are managed safely into the future. Now let me talk that to you. Benefit, that, that, sure. that benefits everyone. Let me talk to you a little bit about. Um, well. Yeah, sure. Let me talk to you a little bit about how the money will be deployed or, or, or invested, as you say. I mean, I've seen the phrase sovereign wealth fund being used, and obviously that's a there's a technical definition that comes with that as well. Obviously, Norway. A lot of people are familiar. They have the biggest sovereign wealth fund, as far as I know, in the world. I mean, what, what at this stage, and I know it's early, but your, your own view of how this is to be invested, I mean, you can invest in, you know, fossil fuel uh, shares, you can invest in government bonds, you can go into companies directly, you can do all sorts of things. Do you have any sense of, will you be very controlled about how the mandate of this um, organisation is, or will you just hand it over to the NTMA and say, get on with it, you're the experts, or how do you see the actual money being invested and the government intervention in how it's used? Sure, the the NTMA are experts and we're very fortunate to have uh, a body with their expertise and experience uh, in this field. And so we will be engaging with them in relation to uh, the proposed investment strategy and government will have to agree uh, what that mandate is. And it will have to involve investing in a diversified portfolio of assets. Uh, We will have to consider what is the appropriate risk. Would, would, Would fossil fuel companies be considered? No, no, we will certainly uh, fully uh, meet our climate goals and the investment strategy. 
you know, we'll have to recognise um, our ESG responsibilities and so on. So that that will. So be you, 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 the, the mandate you give the NMA is that that's out. No shells, no BPs, etc. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we, this has to be consistent with the direction of government policy and our sustainable development goals uh, that we're working towards. So um, there's no question, but that will have to be reflected in the investment strategy. Uh, but, I mean, that's the direction of travel anyway. And, you know, that is the way that, that uh, all such funds are, are now being recalibrated to ensure um, that they are environmentally sure. friendly. Can I ask you a little bit another group that's been making representations there, and that is the Commission for Taxation and Welfare. I think they're speaking at a Oireachtas Committee today. I mean, they've got their own views. Obviously, you're not a, a direct member of that organisation or, or body, but they're essentially saying, uh, echoing a little bit of what you've said, that ageing, you know, this money in this fund won't cover all of the ageing piece. There will need to be additional revenue call as well. And they're talking about um, property tax locally, the local property tax. They're also talking about PRSI. I mean, again, coming back to the original question, if you were to go to the public with some of their recommendations, <laughs> I mean, I would say good luck to you. It would be a tough, a tough ask, particularly in an inflationary environment. So, so what do you just make of it when you see things like that, when they say we need to jack up PRSI, we need to look at local property tax and other measures as well? I mean, do you say they're entitled to their view, but it's not the political view? Or What's your reaction to commentary such as that? Well, the government commissioned that report. We're not bound by the recommendations. We hugely respect uh, the work that the experts who served in the commission did, and they've produced you know, a really professional, comprehensive report. And we are working our way through uh, the recommendations that they have made, um, but we, we won't be adopting all of them. And uh, budget by budget, um, I and my successor in time uh, will be making policy recommendations to government uh, about taxation policy. But they do make the broad point about... Uh, the need to recognise the fact that we are facing very significant age-related costs. Uh, They do make the case for increasing revenues uh, to the state over time. And uh, I know Minister Humphreys is working on a PRSI roadmap. As you said, we have made the decision to keep the pension age uh, at 66. Um, There are major costs associated with that. Uh, And that over time, and we've been very upfront about this, will mean changes in the rates of, of PRSI um, it's not the case that even this proposal for a long-term reserve fund, while it can go a long way, and we do look at different scenarios in the paper, depending on how much you put in, uh, depending on the rate of return uh, that it earns, and when you begin to draw down the return from the fund, it can make a very significant contribution to meeting the cost we know that are coming your way, but it's unlikely to meet the full cost. Um, but in the absence of the initiative that I'm proposing, those costs would have to be met in other ways, would have to mm. be fully met, by increases in tax. I suppose the yeah. I suppose when when the the scale of these surpluses first arose a week or two ago, we were all thinking, "Wow, this could be really transformative for the Irish economy. It could be a, a once in a lifetime opportunity to improve infrastructure, to improve housing. There's calls for better radar for our, our, our um, military forces to to surveil. There's all sorts of calls, and I know some of this can be met in the normal budgetary cycle." But I suppose you're a little bit of the uh, the skunk at the party in the sense that you're saying it's national debt, it's it's pensions, it's ageing. It is a difficult one for the public to get their heads around that there's no necessarily bright, shiny things that are going to come out of this money. Isn't that right? Yeah, well, as I say, we are willing to, to look at increased uh, capital investment. But I mean, I would make the case that we already have a public capital programme of over 12 billion per annum. Um, there have been underspends over the last uh, number of years. Some of that is due to COVID, but to be honest, some of it is also due to, due to capacity issues. So we need to address those. 
Uh, some of it relates to delays in the planning process and the speed with which we are able to deliver um, major public infrastructure projects. So it's not all about money. And we also have to recognize the economy now is pretty much running uh, at full capacity. And, you know, putting more money uh, into an economy that is at full capacity with unemployment at below 4%, you're not necessarily going to get good value for that investment. No, and you mightn't be able um, to get the capacity at all. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, one, We have one of, to take that into account. Yeah, yeah, one final thing I wanted to ask you about, there's obviously other political issues going on, particularly this GAA Go app, which uh, was launched in December. It didn't seem to be a big political story at that stage, but it has, it has kind of morphed into that. Where are you as the Minister? Obviously, you don't fund RT directly, but you do, you do write the checks ultimately, I suppose, that go, go to RT in terms of allowing the licence fee and other supports that they get. I mean, we've had over the last 48 hours concern about, you know, money being spent on the licence fee and then also commercial revenues coming in via this platform and Norti are now being asked to come in and explain that structure in front of an Oroctus committee. I mean, do you think they have questions to answer in the way that this app is going beyond just particular matches? Do, do, do you have any concern beyond that or is it just simply they need to get their strategy right about picking particular games, etc.? Look, I think it's it's an important debate because it really matters to an awful lot of people. And, you know, I'm not going to, to tell RT or the GA what to do. I would just like to see as many of the games being made available free to air as possible, whether that be on television uh, or on the app. I mean, I had the, the, the privilege of being able to attend the, uh, the Monster Hurling Cork Tip game last, last weekend. And what a phenomenal spectacle that it was. And it's just a shame that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who might have watched that game on a Saturday evening, were just denied that opportunity. And I know it's difficult because of the compressed nature of uh, the fixtures now and the way the season has been uh, reshaped. They can show every game. I acknowledge that. But uh, I think it's a good debate and hopefully it will lead to a better would, balance. Would, in the would, you, would you call an RT to show particular games that they're scheduled to put on the app and just, just put them onto free-to-air at this stage? I mean, is that the way to go? Well, I mean, RT can only show so many games, and there's, there are many games now on at the weekend, but you know, perhaps um, uh, RT and the GA would be in a position to take down the paywall uh, for uh, many of the games, if not all of the games. And I know there's a commercial reality, there's an investment by both parties, I recognise all of that, um, but I do think insofar as possible, and they should be making these games available free-to-air, whether it be on television or on the app. Um, you know, we have a fantastic product and it's just a shame that a lot of people who would like to be able to watch them uh, aren't able to at the moment. Uh, it's a difficult balance to get right. I, I don't have all the answers, but and, uh, and would that, the, that that idea of uh, yeah that idea of getting rid of the, the paywall is that a personal view, or would the government transmit that onto RT in some way? Because a lot of people are, are tearing their hair out about this coming up this weekend and the weekend after that. Um, yeah, look, the, the government isn't going to uh, instruct or direct RT what to do. They're an independent body. Um, the, the GA own the rights for um, the broadcasting of, of their fixtures and you know they need to work it out but they also do need to listen to the public debate um, they need to be accountable certainly RT uh, which gets a lot of its revenue not all but a lot of its revenue from licence holders does need to be accountable I think they should come before Parliament and engage and answer questions and you know let's just trash it all out and see if we can come up with a better solution in the end that allows more of the games to be watched by more people around the country. I think that has to be the end goal. Yeah, I think uh, most people would agree on that end goal itself. Uh, So I'm just going to ask you, just before you go, Minister, about the retail forum that's been going on 
uh, this afternoon. There's a whole issue around grocery prices. Obviously, there's uh, tough about energy prices as well. But this second order effect of kind of retail prices really escalating in recent weeks. Would the government, I mean, you've kind of warned them already, the, the retailers, and you've sort of said, you know, moral suasion kind of approach where you're trying to say, look, call on them and jostle them and cajole them into either, you know, moderating their price increases or even bringing the prices down. If that doesn't work, are you open to other ideas or, or, or is that kind of the, the main bullet in the gun that you have at this stage? Well, the main bullet we have is the CCPC. I mean, we have a consumer protection body uh, with extensive powers to make sure that we have uh, proper competition in the marketplace. And uh, they are now actively engaged in uh, the retail sector and uh, have given government some preliminary feedback. I mean, it is the case that inflation in relation to food is only much higher than general inflation. General inflation is down to a little over 6%, uh, whereas uh, for groceries, I think it's of the order of 16%. It, it probably has peaked and is falling, but we do need to see prices falling. And as, it, as the input costs uh, fall, um, and would, would, pri- would, be passed on. would you be open to a price cap, price ceiling type arrangement, or is that just out from the off? Or where's your thinking on that? I think that's very difficult to implement. We do have the statutory power under the 2007 Act, but I think you have to uh, consider all of the consequences. So if you fix the price or you cap the price at one point in the supply chain, what about the other um, uh, people involved in different stages of the supply chain? Uh, You could end up with some of them going out of business. Uh, You also have to consider what is the impact on the primary producer uh, if there is a cap put in place. And then what about the products that are not capped? Will the retailers just end up pushing, put, putting those ones up even higher? So I mm. don't think it's a silver bullet, no. to be honest. I think you, might be into, you might be into windfall taxes on retailers. <laughs> it might, might come to that, but uh, that's where we went with the energy sector. But I think you're, you're, you're pointing to the complexity of that there's a lot of different parties involved. Yeah, it's not straightforward. I mean, what we really need to see is a, a, a normal, uh, competitive retail market. I think they didn't help themselves when we saw one of the the, uh, retailers make a move on milk and then within, I think it was a matter of hours, a number of the other retailers did the exact same thing and I I don't think that looks good Um, and uh, I think, you know, if we're going to have a proper competitive market um, you know, normal market forces need to apply. Yeah, and we have had we have had price controls before in previous decades on basic items, you know, on your on your milks and your breads, maybe not beyond that. So, you know, it's not that radical. We've had this before; it's operated before. So, I mean, it's got to at least be in the debate internally in government, hasn't it? Yeah, and the Taoiseach spoke in the doll this afternoon, and he was asked the very question. He didn't categorically rule it out, but he did. Uh, indicate some of the the limitations and the problems that uh, might arise. Uh, And it is complex, so I don't believe that price caps are uh, a silver bullet by any means. Um, So the message that Minister Richmond is conveying today is that as input costs fall, uh, we do expect the prices that consumers are being charged uh, to fall as well, and we'll be monitoring this very closely. OK, let's, let's see if they hear, heed your call, but for now, thank you very much for joining us on The Hard Show. That's Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Emmett. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from 4 on News Talk.